Hey, this is Mike Goldberg, the voice of Bellator MMA. Join us right now for MMA FanCast. Welcome back, welcome back. As you just heard, we are MMA FanCast. My name is Jim Mooney. My podcast host is Luke Payson. And once again, we are going back to the series Red vs. Blue, where we cover Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. This episode, we have another main event fighter. It is Joe Selecki. He fights out of Salty Dog Jiu-Jitsu in North Carolina. He's got a professional MMA record of 7-2. and two. And, uh, and of those seven victories, six of them have been by way of stoppage, either knockouts or subs. And, uh, and that is the case also for his, his, um, his amateur record. So that's where I want to start right there, Joe. First of all, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, excited right. to be here. Excellent. So we've talked about this on the show before. Dana has stated publicly that he likes finishers. Uh, evident in in that fact is week one he had a fighter that he felt could have finished his opponent and did not and subsequently did not get a contract for that and I was curious to know how you um, how you got the call to, to to be on the contender series and if you think the fact that you are finishing your opponents if that had any uh, factor into getting the call yeah, you know, I really hadn't thought much about that, honestly, until you just said that. But um, that very well may have been the case. I know that, you know, 7-2 and two is a good record, but there's a lot of guys, um, especially out of the region that I fight in. I usually fight in the Northeast, which is a really competitive region. Um, and there's a lot of guys with a lot more experience that maybe didn't get the call. And I didn't really think about that until just now. But, yeah, it might be the, um, the first-round finishes that is enticing to them. But, uh, you know, I think when we sent in film, my manager, uh, he texted me maybe mid-April asking for my two most recent fights and one was a decision, but it was one where it was pretty, um, it was pretty exciting. It was, uh, it showed a little bit of everything, you know, grappling, striking a little bit. I think it showed that I can be well-rounded. Um, and the one before that was a, a pretty, I think it was a pretty slick submission that we sent in. So, um, if those are the only two they saw, I think they would be good. Um, they'd be good performances for them to judge me on and to let me on the show, but nobody really said much about that, but I'm thinking maybe, maybe you might be right with that. Okay, so Luke's, I'm going to get into a little more detail about this, but I found something curious on your stats, and what Tapology has listed is that you are ranked number six in both uh, Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Um, you've got a number two ranking in South Carolina, and these are for pro lightweights, and a lot of your fights are with CFFC, and I was just curious, did you have fights elsewhere that, uh, that have gained you those rankings in other states and regions? Um, yeah, so I fought in my pro career. I fought seven out of my nine fights at uh, in New Jersey. Six of them were with uh, CFFC, and then uh, one was with Ring of Combat. So I, I think those are 
um, arguably two of the top promotions in the country, if not the top two. You know, there's a, a few others. Titan, Island Fights have really good turnover. But, I mean, uh, Ring of Combat has, like, 130 UFC veterans. TFFC is not far behind. Um, I did fight one fight in uh, – or two fights in South Carolina as well. I think that's how I got ranked there. But um, my seven out of my nine fights as a pro have been in uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, which is something I'm pretty happy about because I do think, aside from California, that's the toughest region in the country. I'll jump in here on this. So you're training out of Carolina, and obviously you've gotten in the habit in your pro career of coming up to New Jersey. So how has that – because a lot of people fight right in their backyard, and so you're doing quite a travel, and now – our listeners may not know this, but this is very exciting. You fight this coming Tuesday, just 48 hours from now. You're in Vegas right now. What's it been like during your pro career getting used to traveling a good ways prior to your fight? And do you think that's helping it make it smooth? Because now you're out there in Vegas. Has that travel been something that you've gotten used to? Yeah, you know, I was saying uh, yesterday was our travel day out here. And, uh, you know, normally it would be the same day I would travel. You know, if it was a Saturday fight, that would be Wednesday. You know, and today's uh, – yesterday was Saturday. Um, I said it was pretty nice. I didn't have to drive myself. You know, when I go fight in uh, Jersey, it's like an eight-and-a-half-hour eight, eight and a half hour drive. I'm usually water-loading, so with pee breaks, it's, gosh, it probably takes 10 hours, you know, all the stops. But, um, yeah, didn't have to, we just got on the plane, got on the second plane, and, you know, sat back, watched a movie, hung out, and we were here. You know, it was, it was very convenient. Um, but it definitely prepared me for that, having to travel, keep on diet, and uh, drink water and all that, and do everything I need to do. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm from New Jersey originally. I lived there until I was about almost 19 years old. And then I moved down to uh, originally Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And now uh, the past two years we moved. I was traveling to train with. And then we moved about uh, a year and a half ago to train at uh, Salted Dog Jiu-Jitsu in Wilmington, North Carolina with one of my coaches now, John Salter. So um, that's kind of how I went from Jersey to South Carolina to North Carolina, um, just kind of seeking the best training there is, you know. Um, but, yeah, that being said, my connection was still at home to New Jersey, and I knew if I wanted to make a quick, um, you know, ascent in the rankings and stuff, I think fighting at CFFC, Ring of Combat was the way to go. And I had that little connection of being able to sell tickets there, so we just chose to do most of my pro career up there. In the amateurs, I kind of just took uh, any fight I could get, you know, because it was tough um, to find fights and guys fall out. And you know how it can be as an amateur. But um, as pro, we figured that was probably the place to do it. Yeah, and that's kind of the recipe, I think, for a lot of the successful guys that jump into the UFC or Bellator or 1FC or PFL, one of the big, is that they they have to have a good record against good opponents. Anybody can get a good record against, um, you know, underwhelming or ill-prepared opponents. We've been, doing, we've been doing this series now. I think you might be our fifth or sixth guy we've interviewed for the Dana White Contender Series, our Blue versus Red Series. Uh, but my question is, what's it like being in Vegas? You've just gotten there. Is this your first time in Vegas? And what's it like? And then as a follow-up, have you seen, have you been able to train in or visit the PI, the Performance Institute, or are you guys sort of restricted to the apex? No. Um, so we came out here, uh, I think it was May 1st they came out for like the pre-production stuff, just doing some of the, um, the pictures and a couple workout videos from the chop-up. Uh, it was a really short trip. It was like 36 hours, and we were in and out. That was my first time to Vegas, and we did all that in the PI. And, um, you know, I got to see Las Vegas a little bit. Um, and then this time around, they had the PI open for us. That's where we're, uh, we're able to train and stuff right now. We actually haven't seen the Apex, haven't heard anything about it. I guess we won't see it until maybe weigh-ins or fight night. 
Um, so yeah, they have the, the PI and the hotel real close by and, um, they've been really nice. They have a shuttle for us to go back and forth. Uh, you know, there's only 10 of us here. So pretty much whenever we want to go and making it really easy for us to train and stay on weight and do all the things we need to do. So really cool. And, uh, that, yesterday was my second time training at the PI. Really cool, man. It's just, it's a different vibe in there. A lot of history and stuff, just all the pictures hanging up, and, you know, all the guys coming through there. It's pretty cool to be a part of. And obviously the PI is still sort of new and the UFC is expanding new ones. Uh, but considering you're right in fight week, are you training exclusively with the trainers you brought? I know that the PI employs some of their own trainers and Nganu famously, uh, I think was the first big fighter to fight just out of the PI. So are, are you staying focused on the guys that always train with you or, or have you dipped into some of the, some of the other coaches that are there? Yeah. Um, yeah. We're just out here doing what we normally do, you know, especially cause it's uh the week of the fight, everything's really light. And we're just going to hit some pads and drill and do, do light stuff and practice what we've been practicing for, you know, years now, but the last, you know, eight to 10 weeks. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to stick with that. And then actually yesterday and today is the weekend. So there was no staff there. Like all the uh, PT and the massage, they were, all that, they, were, they weren't there yesterday. They just left the doors open for us. So uh, just going to stick with what we've, always, what we've always been doing and um, what's been working, you know, and, I, and down the line, you know, God willing, I get, get a contract and, and able to come back it'd be cool to check out the facility and all of the um all those amenities they offer one day but right now just doing what we've always done well right consistency is so important i think uh we've asked or we might as well ask you but we've asked pretty much everybody on our show whether or not they'd rather have the opportunity for dana white the dinner series or the ultimate fighter house and pretty exclusively everybody has said that dana white the dinner series partly because you can train you can continue training with the formula that's been working with your home gym if you have if you have a family you could be around them you're not cooped up in like a crazy house so uh, did you ever did you ever flirt with or think about the ultimate fighter or have you always thought you know the contender series is a better opportunity for them? well one well, for me like you know beggars can't be choosers so whatever came up i would have had to take you know um which is fine but i'm definitely happy it was uh it was this and not the ultimate fighter i don't know if they're still doing that or not but uh i don't I think don't that know. suits me you know like i'm just not uh you know, I don't drink, I don't party, um, not the most outgoing person. So it would have been, it would have been a very interesting six weeks not being able to call home or write or, you know, there's no TV or books or anything. So um, that probably wouldn't have been a great environment for me. It probably wouldn't have made for good TV. I probably would have been in my room sleeping the whole time or something really boring um, or yelling at somebody. I don't know. But um, yeah, I'm really glad it's this because it's just like a regular fight. You know, we get to train at home with the coaches that I have and uh, I don't have to deal with, um, you know, getting rhythm with new people or, training with the guys you're going to fight. All that sounds a little awkward. You know, if I would have had to do that, it would have been something I would have had to do. But I uh, really feel lucky to just be able to come out for a normal fight and be judged off uh, an actual training camp that I got to put in with my coaches, you know. Yeah, definitely more pure. That's one of the reasons why we're covering it is because there is no drama. You're literally showing up as a regular fight camp, regular everything. And another thing to point out, which I think is important, and some people still don't get this, is the ultimate fighter, all of those fights, our, our exhibition don't count on your record. And so not only have you put yourself through six to eight weeks with the drama and all that, but this is an actual fight that regardless, you know, Jim mentioned the, the fighter, that's the opponent from England that, that fought and beat Bill Algio, a guy I know from King of Prussia outside of Philadelphia. Uh, but anyhow, uh, so that was the guy that they didn't sign because it didn't look like he was trying to finish the fight. But the, the cool part is because it's a real fight and it's on your record and he got to win, he said, hey, I still get great exposure, and now there's all these other organizations. So, obviously, the goal is to get in there and get the contract, but I think the reason why I like 
this series so much is because this is a legit fight. It'll be on your record forever. You get the win, and even if Dana White doesn't love you, if it's something that he doesn't like, you've performed on the highest stage, which is a beautiful thing. Um, I'm going to kick it to Jim because I know he has some questions, and then I'd still love to hear more about, well, you know what? I'll end on this. What's your weigh-in process like? You're out there. You mentioned weight. And so as we get ready to go back to Jim, what's your time for weighing in, and what time do you actually fight on Tuesday, because obviously you're in Vegas and us home here on the Eastern Standard Time, we, we see it at a different time. But what's your fight schedule look like? Um, yeah, so we're going to weigh in tomorrow morning. Uh, out here, it'll be 9 to 10, uh, one-hour window. Um, so I'll probably get up a little earlier and start cutting then because I don't have too big of a weight cut um, just from uh, you know staying on point all camp and everything. Um, and then I think the fights out here will start at 5 o'clock, uh, our time, so 8 o'clock Eastern Time. And then, um, you know, they said I could be on anywhere from, uh, you know, 7.30 out here, which would be like 10.30 out there or earlier if there's finishes. But I think the first nine fights of the season have been uh, eight decisions. So that being said, it'll probably be around like 9.30, 10 o'clock for me Eastern time. So, yeah, uh, we'll get out there. We head over real early, about five hours before the – or four hours before the card even starts. So sure we'll just be hanging out and uh, getting wrapped up and doing all that good stuff. So, yeah, it should be good. I mentioned at the, at the beginning of the podcast that you're, you're fighting out of Salty Dog Jiu-Jitsu. Tell us a little bit about your MMA experience, where, where you got started, how you got to this point, and then um, a second part to that question is your support cast with your coaches and also your family and what their initial reaction was, your family, um, to you getting into the fight game. Yeah, um, so I was originally trained, in, uh, trained up in New Jersey uh, for – I started when I was six, and I left right before my 19th birthday. Um, I trained up there with a guy named John Hassett at uh, Hassett's Jiu-Jitsu. He still has a school up there. Uh, Team Balance, pretty big uh, affiliation up there. He's their first black belt. Um, so I trained Jiu-Jitsu my whole life up there. Never wrestled, never did anything else. Dabbled with some MMA here and there. If there was like a seminar, every now and then we'd do like a six-week MMA class where we do some sparring and stuff. But um, it was always something I wanted to do, but just didn't seem like something at the time that I was going to be able to do. And then uh, I ended up moving to Myrtle Beach in 2012. Um, my family moved down here. I just kind of followed them and started training down there. started training um, at Fitness Edge MMA with a couple guys. And uh, they were all MMA guys. So I was the only strictly jiu-jitsu competitor. And um, started cross-training a good bit, but I was still just competing in jiu-jitsu. You know, at that point in time, I was going to college. And uh, my goal was to win a world title in jiu-jitsu and be a black belt one day. I was a purple belt when I first moved. and then. Um, when I got my brown belt in jiu-jitsu, just some things happened uh, in my life with uh, school and a bunch of other things uh, personally where it just lined up, where it was the perfect time for me to fight, um, and I started fighting. So I had my first amateur fight in October 2015, and then October 2016, I went pro. So it was pretty short, and um, yeah, so then I started fighting there, um, had a couple pro fights here, and then um, my current coach came down and taught a seminar at our gym in Myrtle Beach uh, from Wilmington, North Carolina, which is only about an hour and a half away. And um, I was a black belt at this point. Or I, I probably think it was like the week before I got my black belt. And um, I had good training partners, but I wasn't learning anything new in jiu-jitsu. You know, striking, I had my boxing coach, Chris Gowd, with me, and uh, I was getting better in striking every single day. And I was learning how to put MMA together, but I feel like in uh, my grappling, I really hit a plateau, you know, and we didn't have a ton of um, high-level wrestlers either. so you know, the thing that I was supposed to be strongest at, I wasn't getting any better at. Um, so I went down there and trained at his gym and uh, got absolutely smoked. 
and was like, oh, wow, there's still a lot to be learned here with the jiu-jitsu and, and especially in the wrestling too. And, um, and, and it was just a good fit for me. So I spent probably seven months or so driving back and forth. I was mm -hmm. still doing half my camp in Myrtle Beach. And then um, I would do like two to three days a week down there after work and stuff. Uh, I would drive down there. And then, you know, my wife would come with me sometimes on the weekends. And uh, it was just a good fit for us at the gym with the people that were there. It was just good people and, um, and the town, you know, so it just made perfect sense for us. We didn't really have too many ties there other than my wife's family in Myrtle beach. So we just up and moved and, uh, we've been there for over a year now. And, and it's been, you know, I still go back to work, uh, my boxing and to get some sparring at fitness edge in Myrtle beach. But, uh, my full-time home is in Wilmington now. It's all dog jiu-jitsu and it's helped a ton, man. It's like, uh, you know, we have John who's in Bellator and, you know, the top contender there, but we have a bunch of other guys that come in and help us. Um, really good black belts. We have guys that fight a couple amateurs, a couple pros that come in. And um, it's nice having a little smaller of a camp where everything kind of is what we need. And we can get, uh, we get a lot of good looks from a lot of people that do this at a very high level, but for fun. So they're kind of there to really help us out, which is really nice. One of the things that Luke and I have mentioned from time to time on the podcast, because we believe there, there may be some misconception out there, the regional circuit in MMA is not the minor league, so to speak, of professional MMA. A lot of people look at the UFC, Bellator, One, organizations like that, and they think those are the big leagues. And when you go to a regional show, that it's like the farm system. It, it is, but it's not a farm system in the sense that uh, that you, you know, you're doing this on the side, and um, it's not a full time job for you, which it is. You know, you've got, uh, you mentioned that, that you got work going on. So really you've got two full-time jobs going on and, or, or so is that, that's not the case now that you're. No. Um, yeah. So I, uh, when we moved to Wilmington, that's kind of when I started just teaching and training full-time. Yeah. It was just kind of time. I was five and one. And I think that was kind of the time where if I wanted okay. to really make a go at this, like you said, it's gotta be full-time, you know, and, and that was kind of, you know, I do some stuff on the side teaching and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, since we moved, I kind of decided I was going to make a run and just do that full-time. You met uh, your wife. You were already in your MMA career. Or no, not. so yeah. Um, oddly enough, I was just doing jiu-jitsu, which she really didn't have much of an idea of what it was. And um, we were talking about it, and uh, my buddy that was with me is a little more outgoing than me, and he was talking about how we had a tournament in town that weekend. And uh, she ended up coming. She didn't know what jiu-jitsu was. Her friend that was supposed to come with her bailed on her last minute. And she's basically standing there all awkwardly, you know, like, what the heck is this? It was a Naga tournament. So not a huge tournament, you know, 16 <laughs> matches going on or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I was warming up and I had my headphones on. I went out and competed. I had another match and she had to leave for work. So we never even crossed. I mean, I like, think I saw, I saw her, but we never like talked, you know? And then, uh, that was kind of our unofficial first date. And then after that, we started dating, but, uh, we were probably dating about a month before I took my first fight. And that was kind of when everything happened for me where, it just made sense to start fighting. We talked about it together, even though we weren't together very long. You know, I wanted to make sure we were on the same page, and she understood what it entailed, and uh, she did. You know, and it's never been a problem. She's been nothing but supportive, and um, it's kind of something we've done together, which is kind of cool. Luke and I just covered a, a grappling tournament. Uh, was it last weekend? Or I, I don't even recall, Luke. But, um, yeah, and one of the fighters, he was actually the headliner. We talked to him quite a while ago, but – he met his wife when I believe he was he was making his pro debut. Long story short, he he met his wife through his opponent. 
and you know he his uh, his opponent is now or his former opponent was uh, is now his brother-in-law. So it was oh, like wow. yeah, ten-year sequence of them fighting, and then you know he meets his opponent's sister, and they you know they got married. So she, you know she she knew about the fight game long long before you know became a pro fighter. So yeah, I, I find that interesting. I've mentioned it a couple times. I've got a son who does BJJ, but obviously, you know, when, when he gets uh, that age, you know, 18 or so, and he can make the choice to start competing or even younger, I'll let him do that. But, you know, as big of a fan as I am of MMA, I don't want to see him go into the career. He talks right now about being an astronaut. Um, just recently, he, he actually said, uh, I think it was yesterday, um, we went on a little family excursion and and he said, how would you feel instead of me being an astronaut if I was a street artist? <laughs> and my wife and I like, well, what do you mean street artist? You know, because when we think of street artists, we think, of, you know, somebody sitting on the side of the street and they've got their guitar case opened up, it's empty, they're holding the guitar and they're basically panhandling. So, you know, it's, you know I, I don't, whatever he wants to do, you know, his aspirations will we'll fully support. So, you know, that to me is, is an important part of MMA and uh, the, the community that you build around you and the support that you have definitely helps the fighter in their progression and how far that career goes and where it takes them. Joe, um, for Dana White, Contender Series specifically, <laughs> how much tape have you watched on your opponent? You're, you guys are the headliner in a couple of days. Um, did your did your coaches watch it and then tell you? Do you watch it together, or do you just focus on your game plan and not worry about your opponent? What does that look like? Because you're starting to get kind of more exposure with bigger with bigger uh, opponents here. Yeah. Um, so if it was you know like a regular fight on like the regional circuit, obviously you have the choice of yes or no and all that good stuff. And um, I always send it to my coaches because. It's my job to say yes to everybody. You know, that's my job as a fighter and to think I can beat whoever they're going to put in front of me. But it's their job to kind of steer me the right way. With this, you know, it was it was done deal. So we didn't really have to worry about any of that. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't watch him until we were going to start really dialing in and get real specific in the in the camp. You know, like we were pretty far out. We found out about it. So, um, okay. you know, I didn't watch a ton. I just watched enough to to really know what his tendencies are and what, you know, everybody has a general style and things like that. But I'm going to spend 90% of the time on me and 10% of the time on him. And that's just, um, I really can't worry about what he's going to be doing or what, you know, at the end of the day, people, people are unpredictable. You know, this is a big fight. Um, you know, we saw it last night with Masvidal and Askren, like people do different things when there's different pressure on or different eyes on, he might come out and be extra aggressive, might come out and be extra, you know, passive. It, you really don't know. So there's no point anticipating and, and worrying about that. Um, but yeah, I did watch, I watched about six weeks out and then maybe halfway through the camp, I watched a couple, couple more minutes of footage, but, um, I know he's very good on the ground. He has a lot of submissions there. So do I. So I'm sure at some point in the fight, we'll end up grappling and we'll get to figure all that out and figure out who's better there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he comes from a good camp. He's got, uh, some good coaches with, uh, Cole Miller and those guys. So, you know, I, I know he'll be ready and I know this is a big fight for him as well as it, as well as it is for me. But, um, you know, the good, the cool thing about, where I came up fighting at and at, in the Northeast and at CFFC and ring of combat is this would have been my next opponent up there, you know, or somebody similar, meaning same record, uh, good camp, good experience. So, um, this isn't much different than anything I would have been preparing for if I didn't get on this, uh, the show this season, you know, so 
Um, this is kind of the next step, and it makes sense. And uh, he's a tough guy. I just think, I just think I'm on a different path. You know, I think uh, I'm ready to go. It's been a very short progression for me, and I think there's a reason for that. Um, I do think that's what makes me different. You know, I think I'm a pretty smart fighter, and I think I can pick stuff up fast. And I think when it comes to like being under the the lights and everything, is I really just uh, get into my groove every single fight, and I think I'm just going to be better that night. Uh, you mentioned. Ben Askren and Jorge Masvidal. Luke and I are going to be doing a show. It'll actually air in the next few days. Um, and it's our UFC 239 recap. And I had a, a messaging back and forth with one of my friends over that fight, uh, Masvidal and Askren. And my take on it was that it was a fluke. And n- not taking anything away from Masvidal, but it was, it was like the perfect storm for both fighters. Masvidal had said just a day or so before he was going to open the fight with a flying knee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he kind of kept that private a little bit. But Askren came right for him, saw that coming, and he, his head went down. Yeah. If you watch the replay, you can see that Masvidal's eyes go to the spot where his knee eventually connected. So it wasn't like it was a fluke in the sense that it just was like a reactionary. He had it planned, and so to his credit, it worked out that way. But, you know, I'm saying five seconds into the fight, and really it was less than that, that's a fluke. And for a lot of UFC fans, that's exciting, but I feel like we got shortchanged because we didn't get to see 14 minutes and 55 seconds more of that fight. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say it's a fluke because, you know, if I went out and did that, I'd want all the credit in the world and no, sure. no one yeah. to second guess it. Obviously, he did say he planned it, you know, which maybe so. But I think maybe if they fought 10 times, that could happen once, you know, and may, maybe once, you know, that was the one time. Um, he may have landed it, but just to be that devastating of a knockout, yeah, that's kind of nuts. But um, that is the game, you know, and things, things, you know, the weird part is, is like with the individual sports of, you know, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, boxing, like, most times the better guy is pretty much always going to win. There's upsets, of course, but they're big upsets, you know. There's no such thing other than, like, you know, if maybe if John Jones would have got knocked out or something last night. Like, there's no huge upsets in MMA because it's so crazy and unpredictable, you know. And um, the better guy doesn't always win. Not saying that Masvidal wasn't better. He might have been. But um, we really didn't get to see any of that, right? So it, it was a little weird. But, um, yeah, that's just – that's the game. And, and I want to say it was a fluke by any means. I'm sure he repped that and planned it. But – just maybe the way it all played out was pretty pretty spectacular, but that's why it's a highlight, right? Because it's not common; it wouldn't normally happen. Yeah, that, that's a that's a good attitude to have, and and I always say on the podcast, and it sounds like you're thinking along the same way that MMA is such a unique combat sport that there's so many different ways to win, but that it also leaves you vulnerable to so many different ways to lose. You know, boxing you have two weapons, uh, wrestling you have more weapons, but but what you can do is way more limited. You know, same thing with, with all the other sports, jujitsu. Um, uh, you've done Naga. I've, I've coached a lot of uh, athletes that have done Naga. And I personally hate the butt suit in Naga. Yeah. You know? But you know what I'm talking about because of the way the well, points Naga, and I think Naga is a great organization. But the way the points start, somebody just sits on their butt and scoots forward knowing that then they, they yeah. can't lose. They're going to take well, it down. And obviously, MMA, that's completely – um, not relevant. So what's something when you were transitioning from BJJ wanting to get your black belt, really purple belt already, what's something that like you carried over from BJJ, obviously your submissions, but what's something you had to untrain yourself? Was there anything you had to 
unlearn from BJJ when you moved into the more variety of MMA? Yeah, I think um, in times of maybe being uh, overwhelmed in a fight, which only happened probably once or twice, but uh, the being content being on my back, you know, and I think that's something that BJJ guys never break, you know, and I think it's something I've broken pretty well now is um, yep. thanks to, you know, the, my coaches and training partners that are really good wrestlers, is, you know, that, you know, in jiu-jitsu, I never wanted to be on my back. But that being said, I had 20 years of, you know, that's okay. And, uh, you know, it's never a good place to be in MMA. I don't care how good your guard is or how good, you know, you are getting back on top. Just yeah, I'd rather start on top, you know. So uh, maybe that. But I think mostly from it, I took good things. You know, I took uh, being calm under pressure, really being able to think. You know, I have um, over 300 matches in competition. So I think just having that. Um, the ability to win and the ability to lose, you know, cause I started at six. So I was pretty terrible from six to 16. I really didn't win any tournaments. Like, uh, I say that people think I'm joking, but it's crazy. And, uh, so, you know, that fear of losing is, you know, it's there until we slap hands to go, you know, and same thing in the fight until we touch gloves. And then I fight pretty freely because I've been on both sides of the coin over 300 times, you know? So there's really no, um, there's no fear there with the unknown. I know what it's like to lose. I know what it's like to win. And, I'm okay with that outcome. I'm ready to go hard. You know, I think that really helped the competitive experience, but I'm more thankful for jiu-jitsu than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been great talking with you and uh, a shout out to everybody that's on the Tuesday Night Contender Series. That This is our first time interviewing somebody so close to their fight under 48 hours. So we're just thrilled that you took time. You're already in Vegas. We hope you stay focused and you have a great fight uh, Tuesday night. And like we said, everybody, we'd love to have you back on the podcast afterwards to talk about the experience, both the fight and just whatever else goes on when you're in Vegas. So uh, for me and Jim, we'll say thanks so much for coming on. And we always end by saying that's it for Pitt. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Once again, that was Joe Selecki. You can watch him on week three, which is this coming Tuesday. It is week three of Dana White's Tuesday night contender series. He is in the main event taking on Jesse James Wallace. So for myself and Luke, thanks for listening to MMA FanCast. <laughs>